You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I don't often talk about the values we live by at Liberty Mind, but one of our core values is to support all individuals in their quest for personal growth. For those of you who personally know me, you'll know I'm a passionate advocate for self-development. We are all seeking to be the very best version of ourselves, which is why at Liberty Mind, we believe that everyone at work should be given the support and direction they need to develop themselves. This is why today I'm so thrilled to be joined by Kirsty Hulse, an organisational thought leader. Having built large global companies through innovative processes, Kirsty is an expert in empowering winning teams, increasing creativity and innovation, developing professional confidence and resilience, and powerful communication. Kirsty is the founder of Raw Training and has an incredible reputation for helping people to excel their confidence. If you haven't discovered her yet, I've popped all of Kirsty's links in the show notes, but I highly recommend you give her a follow. Today, I'll be asking Kirsty about how we can develop a culture for personal growth so all of us can thrive in the workplace. Hi, Kirsty, and welcome to the Make It Thrive podcast. Tell us about yourself and the work you do at Raw. Hi, Lizzie. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so my main areas of specialism is I help businesses to create teams that feel confident, that are powerful communicators. I try to make sure that every business encourages teams who feel empowered to have a voice. I think for me, I think there's a lot of um, accidental uh, inequality in the workplaces because so many professional skills rely on those people who are uh, natural communicators or naturally confident. Um, and I, I'm trying to teach those skills because they are skills that people can learn. So, you know, we create a world of work where nobody's at a competitive disadvantage. Absolutely. I love that so much because it is one of those things I think so, essentially soft skills are something that are, are so undervalued a lot of the time. And like you say, it's often those that shout the loudest are the ones who seem to, to go further. Yeah, and especially as we move into a world of increasing automation, and I'm sure you've seen it, but the World Economic Forum did a report that said the most important skills in 2020, which is now, and increasingly in the future, is creativity, collaboration, emotional intelligence. So whenever people talk to me about soft skills, I, I think of soft skills as the hard specialisms of the future. Yeah. You know, our, yeah. <laughs> so our ability to, you know, like collaborate, to influence, to um, sell your ideas, sell yourself, to be able to navigate essentially human problems. That's the real area of skill uh, emerging in businesses moving forwards. Yeah, I must agree. And it's often so, so much of those skills are put onto the individual to try and seek out themselves as if it's separate to the workplace. So it comes under kind of personal development to do in your own sort of time. But, you know, in most companies, it's kind of the traditional work, you know, 
people towards a role situation you know you you can get nurtured towards becoming a manager or a leader in a department but you're not necessarily nurtured to fulfill your your complete potential I mean why do you think we're still in this mindset you know of role over soul Oh, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. You couldn't see me. But when you were saying, you know, it's often left up to the individual, I was like nodding wildly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the reason is I think we are yet to connect in a meaningful commercial way. Um, attributes like creativity, confidence, communication with performance. You know, anecdotally, you know, we know it to be true. The people who are more creative uh, business, research has shown businesses who have a wider breadth of creative ideas make more money. And anecdotally, we know that if you can communicate, if your team feel empowered, then that will probably, you know, have some kind of ROI impact. But I think the reason that it's less of a focus is simply because it, it is a bit more tangible. It can be, it doesn't have to be, but it can be harder to define from a, um, you know, a financial perspective. So businesses really do tend to like lean into the hard specialisms and then rely on the shoulders of people to whom these things come naturally to kind of carry that through. Um, especially because a lot of the work I do is with agencies because that's, I ran an agency for many years. So that's my, you know, where, you know, I know a lot about that space and it always surprises me in agencies when there's a reluctance to invest in, um, individual professional development, because when you're an agency, it's just your people, you're selling your service, it's consultancy, it's hours, it's time. So it does always surprise me because for me, it seems so obvious that if you invest in your team's ability to feel good and to communicate that, well, everything, that's that's the base. Everything else comes on top of that. We tend to get it the other way around. But I think that's why, I think because businesses are so performance focused and rightly so, it can be difficult for us to clearly communicate the financial impact of cultivating happy, empowered teams. Yeah, definitely. I must agree with you. It's it's so often, and I've said this quite a few times on this podcast with, with different people that, you know, there's there's so many times where measuring things, you know, we, we so want to see a statistic or a figure or a number. It's like we've become obsessed with it almost. And actually, we've kind of forgotten sometimes it's just the right thing to do. And it's business common sense. You know, the numbers fall into place eventually. Um, But if you're going to be that kind of hard done by and keep looking at the statistics or the data every single week and month, it takes time. These these softer skills take time to develop. Um, And I always think, you know, seeing that that impact, it, it comes, it really, really does. But being so numbers focused can really disorientate the the reason exactly of why you're doing it in the first place. Oh, my gosh, you're so right. You're so right, because I will say go into an agency and work with them on their team's confidence, for example. And there will be, you know, the measure of that is subjective. So some individuals yeah. will want to start speaking at events. Well, that has a direct impact on a business's growth. If you can encourage your teams to be powerful brand advocates, some people will want to just feel more engaged. Other people will want to be able to communicate to clients better. And exactly like you said, it's not the case that, you know, I go in and run a workshop and do some coaching and then, you know, two weeks, three months later, you can see this like tangible impact because it's individual Mm. and it's something that grows steadily over time. So what I do, I equip people with tools and frameworks to be able to go and implement this stuff. And it, it does take ages, but it's exactly like you said, not only is it often just the right thing to do, 
you have that commercial impact just a bit later down the line. Because it goes without saying, if you can create teams where everyone's willing and excited to share ideas, that just will engender a more profitable, happy company. Um, but I think exactly like you said, because people can often become uh, fixated on seeing a tangible input output. Often there perhaps isn't the eagerness to invest. And having ran an agency for business, I can absolutely empathize with that when you have you know, multiple different areas that you're focusing on when you're managing your own PL and your own profit, then you have to make sure that the stuff you're doing will have a return. So I absolutely understand that there's a real, a real push and pull there. Yeah, absolutely. Picking up on what you said as well around sort of how people want to work on different things, you know, personally, you know, some people want to maybe eventually go have the confidence to do a talk, or maybe they want to be able to speak more confidently to clients. I mean, you know, personal development in a company culture is obviously very personal for the individual. So how do you think we can nurture people to discover what they want to work on, rather than sort of dictate it to them? That's such a good question. I think so many managers accidentally will project their own goals on what their team should do. So I was coaching a woman recently and she came to me just so distraught because she'd been told that she couldn't have her promotion unless she spoke at an event. Now, public speaking wasn't related to her job in any way, but it was an objective thing that her manager perceived as a marker of professional growth and it just didn't fit her at all so she um she came to me going can you get me to a point where I can public speak and I was like well yes definitely but I think what I actually want to do is get you to a point where you can have a conversation with your manager where your goals are your own um and so I think we we all you know we all do that we project our own values on our team and so I think first it's just having an awareness of that and just asking people the question. You know, as, as coaches, we know that people are more likely to um, engage with solutions, to feel you know, motivated to hit those goals if they've been set by themselves. That is such a good point. Like you say, is actually coming at it from that, that angle of actually nurturing people to, to have that, those kind of conversations with their leadership team. Yeah. And it's like, the, I think... For me, when I'm managing or coaching, the first question I always like to ask people is, if you were feeling completely professionally fulfilled, what would be different? Mm. And so questions like that, you start to get, you know, things, tangible things, but also feelings based goals. Yeah. Um, And I think for managers, starting by asking questions like that, rather than where do you want your career to be in five years? Well, I'm not even sure I know that. I <laughs> guess um, like really, I don't, it's really hard. Whereas when we ask people like, you know, if you were feeling completely professionally fulfilled, like that we can grasp and that we can understand. Um, so I think the first port of call is training leaders and managers with the skills to be able to facilitate these kinds of conversations. Because most businesses, you know, people get promoted to managers and then it's like, you're a manager now. Bye. That's definitely (laughs) what I did in my business. And that's what I've had in my whole life. You know, people become managers and then we just have to wing it. And winging it can work. It can work. But there's data and frameworks and tools and research that can take people's winging it to and hone it to like powerful, productive leadership and consequently teams. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've said this before, how it's funny, you know, a lot of the managers were maybe really good doers, but that doesn't mean they're good at leading people. Um, and it's one of those things that we, we consistently struggle with in the workplace and with our company cultures. And and like you sort of rightly said, it's it's actually about nurturing with the, those feelings and having those conversations because, you know, for some reason, we, we still have this outdated mindset that emotion or feelings or our real humanness isn't allowed in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I keep seeing a lot of stereotyping happening when it comes to theories around personal development. For example, at the moment, it's touted as something businesses have to do to keep millennials engaged. Um, but from your experience, how can companies create a culture where everyone has the opportunity to work on personal growth? I think there's two things. So first, what is celebrated gets repeated. Mm. So we're we're all like little toddlers in suits right if we praise people if we reward if we reward people we do that more so in order to do that I think a lot of this comes from a top top down so leaders have to be able to incorporate themselves in the frameworks of a professional capacity and give some of themselves away you know be open and transparent um And then that engenders that culture throughout the rest of the business because people don't change based on what they know. They change based on how they feel. Mm, And this is something that I struggle with as as a coach, as a trainer is sometimes because I really like I've done, you know, all of my training is like objective. I've done lots of research. So sometimes I can fall into a trap of just inundating people with information but information alone won't create any implementation. So first we have to encourage people to feel differently and then the change will come. And we tend to think we can get people to change and then they'll feel differently, but it actually has to be the other way around. Yeah, definitely. No, I completely agree. I I, I mean, again, I keep repeating this, but people always say to me like, oh, what is it around, you know, when do people know that company culture needs to change? Like when they have some kind of pain, when they feel pain, like they're not going to, like they know that company culture is important and, you know, maybe they've done some work, but until they have some kind of pain, you know, they experience some kind of pain within their business and think, oh, this is really uncomfortable. This isn't a positive, you know, it's either positive or negative. They they don't have then the intention to move forward to take an action. And, and I couldn't agree with you more on that. You, you really have to dr- drill into those feelings of how people are feeling. And doing that is so hard. I think most some people have a natural propensity for this, but again, like being able to motivate, inspire and pull people forward. So that's a skill that you can learn, but most managers and leaders sit within the like detail. So I, I was reading some research and the idea is that as humans, we have like different levels of thinking. Mm. So we have, you know, the first level of thinking that's vision. So that's when we're thinking positively about the future, what opportunities focus, we're excited then we have planning, that's like strategies. Then we have detail, that's like, what are you doing the specific day to day? Then we have problem, I'm upset by this. There's pain, like you said. And then we have drama, where it's all just a negative emotion. And most uh, businesses sit pretty much within detail and problem. 
And what research has shown is we don't really engender lasting change in those mental states. It's within the vision state and the planning state, which is why coaching is so powerful. You know, you can pull people forwards and try to get people excited and motivated. And some people are, are naturally good at this, but most people, we have to learn it. And it is a skill that you can learn. There's so much research, heavy duty scientific research on how you can take people on a journey to feeling genuinely excited about going to work. You, We really can. We have the tools and the resources to create those workplaces with just a few shifts in how we communicate. And these aren't uh, significant shifts. It's just tweaks. Tweaks in how we manage, tweaks in how we com communicate gives people so much more autonomy and inspiration and excitement and it really is um within our uh abilities to do that all we have to do is just dedicate that little bit of time to learn those skills and not exclusively rely on our um innate abilities because we wouldn't do that with our specialisms definitely no I absolutely agree it's so interesting isn't it because like you say a lot of the time that you know when it comes to looking around change and 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 some of these soft skills as we put them in quotes um actually you know the evidence and the data is is so there now you know it's it's no longer the fluffy stuff it's actually hardcore it's it's stuff that's making real impact i mean what do you feel is stopping more organizations from getting deeper in the realms of personal growth for their teams I think for most businesses, and I include myself in this when I was running a business, it's a world that a lot of business owners and teams don't know exists. Mm. So we have, you know, people like you and I, we know the research, we know the data because we've taken that course in our careers, but most people just don't know. And, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So I think for a lot of people, even having the conversation can be difficult because I think our role as people who work in uh, personal and professional development is to first teach people that we do have this um, there is this research there is all of this potential and opportunity because it's still so new and so many businesses are yet to implement it most people just haven't seen it and we have to, again, as humans, we, we tend not to respond so well to being told what to do. We mm. tend to respond a lot better to uncovering things for ourselves. So I think the way the businesses that really get this right are perhaps those who have people in uh, budget management or senior leadership positions who they themselves have gone on some kind of like transformational journey or coaching or professional development and so know through personal experience that it works. Um, because I think it's just new. It's not yet been incorporated into everyday business understanding. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I was, I was speaking to another guest yesterday, actually, and we were saying about how it's almost like leaders have to go through um, some kind of pain personally. So it's almost like they have to experience something on their level in order to then roll it out across the organization. Because oh. they then have that almost heightened empathy of, oh, actually, um, I've experienced and I don't want my team or my company to experience this. So I now need to make sure that, that I do something. Yeah, it's so I've never thought of it like that. But when I think to all of the 
you know, my peers who do this work or have implemented this work in their businesses. I think that's pretty consistently true. There's an expression that I really like that's take time for your wellness or you'll be forced to take it for your illness. And I just (laughs) think it's so, so the case, you know, I think exactly like you said, company cultures change, perhaps if people are experiencing burnout, if there's real negativity within a business, if profit is dropping, but we don't have to change from a place of pain and a place of fear. We can also Mm. change from a place of opportunity and excitement. And I think that's a big cultural shift for us, actually, as individuals and humans. We tend to motivate ourselves through pain and through fear. And we motivate ourselves by going, well, I have to do this. Or if I don't do it, then somebody else will. I'll miss out. Or if I don't do it, then I'll lose this. If I don't do it, then this bad thing will happen. And I think that's very much part of in human nature. But I think it's also quite cultural. Uh, in the Western mm. world, and particularly in Britain, uh, we have this notion that if we're hard on ourselves, that's how we succeed. And and yeah. for some people, it works, absolutely. But at the same time, if we picture all of the incredible success and experiences and positive moments we can have in our lives, then we can pull ourselves forward in that way too. So for me, it just becomes a simple choice. Both methods are equally effective. Well, actually, no, research has shown that positive visioning is much more effective than the negative equivalent. But a lot of people will succeed through um, pain-based, fear-based motivation. So it's hard to, like myself, for example, I, uh, you know, had a business with, I was working with 70 people and I did that by telling myself if I didn't, then I was some failure in some kind of way. So it's really um, common for people to motivate themselves in that way. But it's so powerful to just flip that and go, okay, so what do I want? Where can I go? And it becomes so much more powerful and so much more exciting. And it's just a semantic shift, really. I feel like I went off on a tangent there. I get quite excited. <laughs> I get quite excited by this. <laughs> no, I love it. It's because you're passionate about it. And I could just speak to you for hours. It's brilliant. No, it's really, really good. But Speaking on that in regards to change, you know, the, the positive and the, and, the, and the negative approach to it. I mean, with that in mind, how can businesses develop a culture of personal growth? And where would you advise they where would you even advise they start? That's such a good question. So I often find that when real change happens in business, it tends to come from like uh, I can't. I need to think of a better expression because it sounds diminutive. I don't mean it to, but from the bottom up, in terms of yeah. I, I often these big cultural shifts don't always come top down. It tends to come yeah. from like mid level managers going, um, I, you know, I want to feel better. I want to feel better for my team, and they become the people within the business who you know, evangelize kind of different, new, exciting ways of thinking. So I think that's the first consideration. But I think where people can start, I think really the most simple and effective way to start this is just by learning how to question people. Mm. In all of the training that I've done and all of my business experience, the absolute most powerful skill I ever learned was questions. And I remember when I did my first coaching course and I was learning how to guide people to a certain answer or just listen through questions rather than giving people solutions or telling people what to do I was like how have I how have I not known this 
you know, I've run a big successful business by never effectively managing anybody. And I just didn't know, you know, I didn't know. So I think the most important, and it's tactical and it's small, but if you can get, depending on the size of your business, a few people within the business uh, to do a, a coaching course and get them asking powerful questions, that changes everything because suddenly individuals yeah. are empowered and it stops being about managers saying this is what you should do because it doesn't work our brains are as unique as our fingerprints what right mm. for me isn't necessarily right for you how many times lizzie has somebody given you advice and you've ignored it <laughs> <laughs> all the time and I, I also give out advice that i don't follow as well. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> so common because we have to find our own solutions not all the time often we'll take advice from mentors or people we really respect but generally if we're trying to solve a problem or figure out what we want our careers to be or understand how we're going to feel good at work it's very subjective we have to find that for ourselves and I think by equipping managers with the skills to just ask people questions, powerful questions, constructed questions, then I think that would be the easiest, quickest, most transformative way to improve a business. Mm, definitely. Oh, gosh, I have to agree. I think I think that's some very actionable and practical advice there, because I think that's that's a great starting point, isn't it, for anybody looking to add personal development and personal growth into the company culture and, and where to look is actually empowering the people within to to start asking those strong questions I was going to say perhaps it might be useful for your listeners if I share my favorite question yeah go for it as teams so this is um I'm I'm, I'm I love a question um, <laughs> you can probably tell but my favorite two questions now these are really good for clients or when you're managing people and it's so simple is say to someone um how are you feeling about this your performance this project whatever on scale of one to ten they'll give you a number and then say say for example they give you a six say great why a six and not a four Ooh. yes i love it and this is brilliant if people are unhappy <laughs> You know, if someone's unhappy or feels low confidence or low performance, or if it's an agency, for example, and your clients are unhappy, because by doing that, we enforce people to focus on the good things we've done. Mm. As humans, we have a negativity bias. We don't do this. And to repeat what I said earlier, what we celebrate gets repeated. So if we want people to change, we have to celebrate them. But even more importantly, we have to encourage people to celebrate themselves. Yeah. So by just asking a simple question of, okay, why are you a, a six and not a four? Then they'll suddenly be like, oh, well, I kind of did this well, and I did this well, and I did this well. And then you take your feedback conversation away from being critical. And research has shown that when we have critical conversations where we're having to negatively critique someone's performance, it can put us in a threat state. We can cognitively close down to a position of okay so what did you do well where are the opportunities where else can you grow and it just becomes a much more powerful way to facilitate growth within teams and then the next question would be okay so if you're a six what do you need to do to get to a seven what do you need yeah. to do not what I'm telling you to do not what I think get people to commit to their own plans to their own deadlines and then it becomes their work they have full accountability and then you can say, well, you know, here's some, may I add some observations of where I think would be good too. Um, 
And I think for managers generally, only give your advice and your specific output right at the end if it's still needed. Because you'll find mm. most people will know where they've not done a great job or most people will know where the opportunities are themselves. Um, so I think that's my favourite of all the questions. <laughs> I love that. I really love that. I really do. And I've even made a note of that in my book as well. <laughs> <laughs> Going to definitely start using that. So you've definitely inspired me. Well, thank you so much, Kirsty, for giving us your time today. And for those of you who are interested in the work that Kirsty's doing, I've dropped Kirsty's website raw.training in the show notes so go and check that out and also ensure to give her a follow on Twitter as well but thank you so much for joining me today Kirsty. You're so welcome Lizzie thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Make It Thrive the company culture podcast with me your host Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.